Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at LAist.com slash sweeps. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us for another major week in films. Joined by Claudia Puig, Program Director for the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, and Leah Lowenstein joining us as well. Let's get right into this week's movies, beginning with the Japanese thriller Monster. The film stars Sakura Ando and Aita Nagayama. The film is directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. It's written by Yuji Sakamoto. Claudia, what do you think of Monster? I really love this film. Um, I'm also I'm a fan of of Corrieta, as so many of us are. Um, I feel like it poetically shows the power of perspective. Um, it's so well observed. It's so nuanced. It's very compassionately told. It's also very singular and meticulous in the way he tells the story from these disparate, shifting perspectives, like a Rashomon kind of thing. Um, and you won't really know where it's going until the very end. Um, so the best thing is to just kind of let it unfold and not try too hard to piece it together. Um, it's interesting because he took some geographic detours. You know, he, his last film was set in South Korea, which was Broker. And then the film before that was The Truth, which was set in France. Now he's back to his native Japan, as he was with Shoplifters, which uh, is one of my favorites. And I feel this is his best movie since Shoplifters. Wow. Um, it's very moving. And I found it really unusually constructed. He works so well with children, too. Um, and you know, it's, uh, the children in this are amazing. Um, he kind of has, they, it shows that they have their own world of fantasy and adventure. And it's like, we don't really know what our kids are thinking or doing necessarily, even though we may think we do. And he tells us in a very lyrical way, um, you know, the mother, the you know, teacher, the school principal, friends, everybody kind of sees things slightly differently. And bullying is at the center of this. Yeah, but it sounds like it's more. It's than a lot that. more than a lot that. More. Yeah, yes. it, yeah. it's, it actually starts with the a child is sort of acting differently, and a fifth grader, <clears throat> and the uh, the the mother thinks that there's something amiss, and th- through little signs she deduces or concludes or infers that he has been uh, harassed by the teacher at his school. And there's a few more incidents where he's acting strangely and including one where it seems like he's been, you know, possibly struck by the teacher. And so the mother marches in and confronts the principal and says, we must, you know, we must resolve this. The teacher must be fired. And then the the teacher comes in and, you know, the, 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 um, the people at the school act very strange about it. They say, "Well, we take your your concern with great seriousness," and they, you know, they sort of deflect the mother's concerns. And then, you know, the, then we sort of get the story from the teacher's perspective, and we see things a different way. And then we get the story from the children's perspective, and we see things a different way. And what's interesting is that your understanding of the film as an audience member shifts with the layering and changing of each perspective. And and Corey Ada handles this quite masterfully. It's it's a 
challenging film to watch because you don't you only see a portion of things at a time at a time yeah. and so it's it's kind of like a rushman but it's also not like a rushman yeah. because you're you're piecing it together you never really get the whole you the whole is sort of assembled in your head at the end and you understand things that you didn't know and you actually then understand something that's very important to what the film is truly saying. Well, and that sounds like social commentary in and of itself, because, well, sure. of course, mm-hmm. we're so so quick in our social media era to make judgments about yes. things with which we have only very limited yes. knowledge. Superficial that's right, knowledge. Larry. Yeah. Yeah. And it also begs the question, who and what is the actual monster Truth. of the right. title? Right. Because at one point you think, it's oh, it's the teacher. The teacher is definitely the monster in this film. And then, and then later you think, well, well gosh, maybe it's the mother. Maybe Maybe the parent is because these parent, these single moms are really, you know, they're quite difficult to deal with. And then, you know, and then you think, well, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the maybe it's someone else's father or, you know, some other just maybe it's society. Maybe it's what we don't know. Maybe it's the way we perceive and judge. And, you know, and it's 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 sort of like this so this, layered. Yeah, there's. Yeah. It's, well, we know you're not one of those difficult moms. <laughs> I probably am. Mary. I probably, probably am. Um, but uh, but I thought this was a really extraordinary film. It's Definitely. You know, I, I admired it very much, and I think it gives you. It's the film that gave me the most to think about. One of the one of the films that gave me the most to think about this year. I'm not sure it's one of my f- absolute favorites, but it's the one that will leave me thinking for a long time. And the one that makes you want to see it a second time. Yes, I'm you'll, actually you'll doing see different a Q and A with with uh, Mass Director Correa on Monday night at the New Art. And I'm really anxious to see it yeah. again because I saw it at, at TIFF um, and. It does need to be seen on a big screen. It's beautiful. Also, the music. It's the last work of the very acclaimed composer, Ryuchi Sakamoto. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he, he died two months before the Cannes premiere. We're talking about the Japanese thriller Monster uh, from Hurakazu. Uh, Koreeda, the film's rated PG-13, and you can see it at Landmark's New Art Theater in West L.A. and in Monterey Park at the AMC Atlantic Times Square. Shada, uh, an Iranian film that's written and directed by Noura Niasari. Uh, the film's rated PG-13. Uh, Leo, please uh, share with us. Actually, it's set in Australia yes. and features uh, an Iranian mother. Right. So it's it is set in Australia, and it's it's um, kind of inspired for us from some personal experiences of the filmmaker Nora. Niasari, and this is her debut feature, which is really quite remarkable because it's a very strong film. It features a, a, a spectacular performance by Zara Amir Ebrahimi as uh, a woman who is recently separated from her husband. She's taking refuge in a woman's shelter. They have moved, she and her husband and her family moved to Australia uh, for his, his studies, his doctoral studies, I guess. And um, th- it was there that, that we learned pretty quickly that she was in an abusive relationship and she left him, s- seeks refuge in this women's shelter. And we learn f- sort of piece by piece just sort of how awful her marriage was and how each decision that she makes to sort of define herself as a woman, whether to cut her hair, to to not wear a hijab, to 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 possibly even consider dating again. Each of those is a great affront to the to the Iranian tradition, to the to the masculinity of, of her husband and so forth. And he talks about at one point we do see him. He he comes back as a in visitations with the daughter and, you know, he's threatening like if we go back to Iran, you will be killed for this, you know. And it's really it's quite powerful, quite triggering if you're someone who has who has experienced any of this sort of thing at all. It's it's quite 
quite well done, beautifully acted, and and it really um, has tremendous performances all the way. Well, around. and and the fact that the writer director this is inspired by her experience, mm. her childhood experience, probably brings all the more power yeah. to it. It does feel as, so real. As well, we're talking about yeah. Shada. What did you think? Yeah, Claudia? she is Iranian Australian. The uh, uh, the director, I, I loved it. I think you know, given that this is this is one of the most masterful uh, debuts, I think of of a filmmaker that I've seen in a very long time. Kate Blanchett is actually one of the executive producers. Um, uh, and I think the Australian connection maybe happened there. It's a, tr- hopefully her name will help, will, you know, inspire people to go see this terrific film. Um, it's mesmerizing. It's occasionally harrowing. Um, and it, it's the performance of um, Zaramir Ibrahimi, who, by the way, won the, the Cannes uh, Best Actor Award last year for Holy Spider, which was a great film, is just fantastic. Her You see so much in her eyes. She communicates so mm. much. And, um, you know, the what we find out is that the Iranian community in Australia is a very small insular community. So yeah. she tries to go out and she's trying to keep normalcy for her six-year-old daughter, who's just adorable. That little girl is a really wonderful mm. little actor, too. And... Um, by doing that, you know, by finding the foods that she likes to have, by celebrating the new year, and she goes to a market, she goes, she cuts her hair, she wears sunglasses, she wears a hat, thinking she won't be recognized, and of course, somebody behind the counter says, oh, you have a nice haircut or something, yeah. and they recognize her. Right her. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the very, it, it grabs you in from the very beginning, she's at the airport with her daughter, and they're they're tense, they're nervous, and you, you know, you think, are they missing a flight, what's going on, are they fleeing? And the reason they're there is to is so the little girl will know uh, what to do in case her father abducts her. And so you're immediately taken in right there. And then, of course, they go to the shelter and there's women from all over the world. And you realize as much as this is a very specific story about, you know, an Iranian immigrant, it's also a very universal story. Yes. And so it, it strikes on all those levels. It's and just, there's other women at the shelter, too, who have their own stories. Yes. And that's really interesting. Very powerful what we, stories. What we learn about them, too. Yeah. Niasari is doing a trilogy of films about Iranian women, Ah. and this is the first of them. She's got another one coming out, uh, I think, next year called Raya. Um, But but she's a really interesting filmmaker. She really is, and especially with everything going on with women in Iran right now. This is she's someone to really absolutely. She so sensitively covers this, and she creates the tension so well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the film is in English and uh, Persian, which is uh, subtitled as well. The film, written and directed by Nora Niasari. Shada is at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles, rated PG-13. Eileen, set in Massachusetts, winter 1964. Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway star William Oldroyd is the director and Luke Goebel, the screenwriter of Eileen. Claudia? Well, this is a pretty captivating, unsettling, and kind of noirish psychological thriller. It it attempts to delve into the psyches of these complicated women, but ultimately it doesn't go that much beyond the surface, which I found disappointing. Um, it has the feel of a Hitchcock movie. It has kind of the look of it. It's moody. It's beguiling. But it doesn't fully deliver on its promise for me. I felt the ending kind of disappointed. And I've never actually thought this, I, I think, or at least I can't remember the last time I thought this, but I kind of wish it was longer, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, this time I, of what, year. What, what must that feel like? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I feel like I spoke heresy just <laughs> now. Yeah, We never feel that way. <laughs> never. My head's blowing up. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's, it's 97 minutes, but it just kind of ends in a rather hurried way. Like you feel like there's an extra maybe 15, 20 minutes that would have, that maybe 
maybe was left out almost. Um, you know, not to to denigrate other aspects of it. The cinematography is stunning, and the two lead performances are amazing. Anne Hathaway as this glamorous femme fatale who's also kind of slyly funny. She comes into this prison as a psychologist, way too glamorous for this job. I think she should have had a whole different kind of job. But and then Thompson McKenzie, who is wonderful, is this kind of more innocent twenty four year old. They're working at this men's prison. It's very and it's a kind of depressed New England town. Um, and her father is this also depressed and nasty former police chief. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's a very particular setting, very drab. And then this beautiful glamorous woman comes in, and, and then you start getting the sense that there's a attraction between the two of them. Um, and so it starts it starts to feel a little bit like Carol. It does remind you of Carol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, it goes a whole and different direction. And then it, direction. it, it takes <laughs> it takes a real turn, a sharp, yeah. almost like a hairpin turn. Mm-hmm. It, um, and and that is intriguing. It it works kind of in a way. I mean that that. Oldroyd, the director, who who was very good at certain things, he did he got a great performance out of Florence Pugh with Lady Macbeth. He was so yes. good with that. Um, he not that he, it's hard to get a good performance. No, well, out of no, Florence. that's <laughs> excellent, excellent point. So he's particularly good with I think Anne, Anne Hathaway here, who is relishing. She's just like loving every moment of this sort of almost like a Barbara Stanwyck kind of femme fatale and this blonde wig, kind of Marilyn Monroe hair, a bit, a bit yeah. Marilyn Monroe also. She's got a lot going on, and she's the sort of older worldly woman and she comes in as the as the psychiatrist and of course Thompson McKenzie is immediately smitten with her and um, you know she's cool she dresses well and everything up to that point has been very drab uh, Thomas and Eileen her the, her the way she dresses the sets everything very drab and then and then Anne Hathaway comes in with this red car right and it's just she and just peroxide of, blonde hair just yes, yes, yes platinum peroxide hair yeah. and it's suddenly like color has come in <laughs> to this to this drab um, situation and so she's quite taken with her right and then you know but things turn out to be more complicated than than we assume they're going to be and you know it's we can't of course give away too much that no. would not be fair to <laughs> the film but it is the but, thriller yes yes, yes. gotta but, keep us thrilled but it does <laughs> right. you know it's once that turn happens you're kind of like huh didn't see that coming and then and then you're like okay well i maybe i can go with this and then it's and then you sort of still don't know what's going to happen and even the ending it leaves a lot of questions it does I, think. I feel like it didn't really connect the dots or did it so hurriedly that you're kind of like what what happened there? Yeah, yeah i was a little bit unsatisfied by the ending as well like i felt like and and maybe that was deliberate ambiguity mm-hmm. but i i felt like it could have given me a little bit more i suppose i mean what yeah all right eileen is the film william oldroyd the director stars thomason mckenzie and anne hathaway it's rated r it's at amc's the grove 14 and amc's century city 15 it opens in wider release next friday Next up, a documentary from longtime filmmaker Frederick Wiseman. Menu Plaisir tells the story of the three-star French Michelin restaurant Trois Gros. We'll hear all about that, starting with Lael. So Wiseman is legendary, of course, and in, I don't know, 40, 50-some years of filmmaking. He's 93 now, so gosh, he's been doing this for, what, 60 years? He has taken on institutions of all kinds. Here he takes on the three-star Michelin restaurant, and it is epic. We'll hear more what Lael has to say, as well as Claudia. We're talking about documentarian Frederick Wiseman's new film, Menus Placier. We'll hear more about that when we come back on Film Week in just one minute.
Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. In case you missed what our critics had to say about the Japanese thriller Monster, you're going to want to hear it. Make sure you listen to the full hour of Film Week wherever you get your podcasts or at LAist.com. We continue, though, with uh, the film from documentarian Frederick Wiseman that highlights a three-star Michelin restaurant in France. The film is Menu Placer, and uh, Lael was just telling us about it. So, Lael, this is like behind the scenes totally in this classic restaurant? Yes, and so... Uh, Weissman is kind of legendary for like embedding himself in with these institutions, whatever he chooses, whether it's a library, a city hall, uh, um, a hospital. He he just basically it's a very direct cinema style where he plants himself and he lets his camera run. That is not to say that he doesn't make a lot of artistic choices. He does. But to watch any Weissman film, you have to have a fair amount of patience. And this is a four hour film. Uh, so just be warned about which that. Is which is typical for him. Yes. Right. Yeah. They're they're often three or more hours long, um, but but they are fascinating. And in in this case, he follows the uh, establishment of this this three star this legendary three star Michelin restaurant that has been in the same family for three or four generations, and it is uh, was founded by I believe one of the inventors of Nouvelle Cuisine in France and. Um, and so the meticulousness that goes into planning every meal is detailed with equally meticulous uh, precision by Weissman. And it just it's kind of extraordinary to watch the film opens with um, the one of the proprietors shopping at a farmer's market and then goes back to to observe him in a conversation with his father, planning out the tasting menu for the upcoming week or so at the restaurant. And, and you know, the debate about whether to wrap a stalk of asparagus in rhubarb and then to apply which which kind of sauce, you know, or not, is it's like, it, it seems like it would be <laughs> dull, but it's actually quite fascinating because uh, for the, four part- hours. For <laughs> the participants take such delight and care in pouring over every detail and so you know he so Weissman shifts his his camera position you know he's 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 in the kitchen at different times he's in the restaurant at different times he's with the sommelier talking about the different wine selections and you know there's there's editing choices that are made even though the camera is running you see certain segments for certain amounts of time and then he'll go to something else 
Carl, so, what did yeah. you think? Yeah, I, same. I, I, you know, the debate versus should you use elderberry in the sauce versus black currant? Right. You know, it's just like, <laughs> hmm, to me, they're berries. Um, it's like with the precision of generals planning this tactical attack, you right. know, <laughs> or strike. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's amazing. And, and I mean, the, all the effort, all the aspects involved in putting together these mm. mouthwatering dishes, you know, from where you place the fork and even where you place right. the seats. And then you think people just sit down and plop on those chairs and, you know, eat the food, <laughs> gobble it up without, you know, all that meticulous detail, the tiniest dash of spice. Even, even down to who is coming and what they will eat. They plan yes. for each individual diner. They know their allergies. They yes. know their food sensitivities. And, and even what they and like and dislike. And dislike. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's not just like, you know, you do go to nice restaurants and they ask you if you have any food allergies, but this is so much beyond that. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, the, when he first goes to a farmer's market and he's going over everything, and then of course they're in the countryside where they're growing some of their own um, vegetables and, and uh, spices and things like that, herbs. But, you know, they, they also visit, I think it was a goat herd to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, the lactation process yes, of goats. Whole, yeah, we learn all about that. <laughs> yeah. We visit with um, someone who raises cattle yeah. for, um, for, you know, for for. for use in the restaurant, you know, that's... And does the chef, Michel uh, Troigreau, go out and do all this himself? Well, his son is kind of taking... Or his two sons, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a, it's like a well-oiled machine. There's a lot of people So involved. they split the responsibility. Yes. There are going many, out. many, yes. many, many And they chefs. all do their jobs so meticulously yeah. and perfectly. It's, it is like a, like a precision clock or something. Yes. It's so amazing. And if you're a fan of films about cooking, uh, I'm a huge fan of like Big Night, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, yeah. or all the myriad cooking shows that are on Even TV. Even the bear that's yeah. on the bear. Right. Exactly. Right. Much more recently. Yeah. Or, you know, the baking shows. This is the king of them all. Yes, <laughs> it is. And, and you learn, I mean, even though he doesn't explain everything that's being cooked. We learn just by observing. Yes. And, you know, it's it's really remarkable what you can do. And not even on a gas stove. Most of them are cooking on electric electric as well. Yes. So that was really interesting. And chopping too. on th on things Ch that are not necessarily like chopping blocks. They're right. just doing it on a counter. And, right. And their yeah. technique is so specialized and refined. And even the patience that, that um, Michelle and care takes when, when a, a younger chef doesn't do something quite right. He doesn't read him. He doesn't yell at him. He it's just not says, like well, the bear there. Yeah, not like the bear there. He just says, well, you'll get it right next time. You know, really interesting. We, we should mention that Frederick Wiseman is 93 years old. Yes. And, and he's still at it. making films. Yes. Yeah. It's and amazing. He's been living in France, I think, for a while now. And this is just, you know, he's he's got this real interest in, in exploring different kinds of things related to French culture as well. So really interesting. We're talking about Menu Placer, which tells the story of the three Michelin star restaurant, Le Trois Gros, uh, in France. Frederick Wiseman, the director. The film's unrated, and you can see it at Lemley's Royal in West Los Angeles. Big week for documentaries, and that continues with a look at filmmaker Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog, Radical Dreamer, is directed by Thomas von Steinecker. Uh, Claudia, what do you think of it? Well, after talking about um, Frederick Wiseman at 93, uh, Werner Herzog is a youthful 81. Just a lad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strapping young lad. I love this film. I programmed it, actually, for Santa Barbara last year. Um, and, you know... He any any fan of his films, whether the narrative films or the documentary films, you're going to enjoy this. And even if you just know him from pop culture, like The Simpsons, or you know, he had a, I think a voice in Penguins of Madagascar, you're going to you will appreciate his distinctive pronouncements and his eccentric anecdotes. He's such an icon. He's he's so entertaining. So entertaining. And you know, Vim Vendors at one point says he 
made up that accent. It's not really? just a regular German accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you see him in his youth, um, and you can see where that's building up. But his anecdotes are so priceless. Um, and of course, his way of speaking is so singular. Um, and, and then they have all these interviews with really interesting people who've either worked with him or admired him. Chloe Zhao, Patti Smith, Robert Pattinson, uh, Nicole Kidman, Christian Bale, and then his wife and his brother, and then other great filmmakers like Vin Vendors and Volker Schlondorf and Joshua Oppenheimer. Um, you know, and he says things like, I just tried to remain a good soldier of cinema. It's a terrible accent. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and my favorite line, which I was like, I was texting Leo last night with this line about... Is it, wind. it is a crime that we do not, that humans do not have wings. Right. <laughs> One of the things I love is he's he's sort of in the tradition of the director who's the great rock and tour and personality. Yes. Like Hitchcock was that way. He had yes. this whole persona. He Alfred Hitchcock was a character as well as a great filmmaker. And Herzog is a terrific filmmaker. He very is. you know highly varied in the work that he does, but just a galvanizing personality. Totally. Christian Bale says. Something Something like he makes himself a target for unlikely events because he wants that. He wants a fascinating life, and that'll come your way if you want that. It's like I don't know if that really comes your way if you want it, but he certainly has had a fascinating life. Leo, what do you think of this I, documentary? Oh, I Herzog? really loved it. I I enjoy Herzog so much, and he's made some films that I really really like. Grizzly Man being one of my, oh my favorite gosh, documentaries. Yeah. I remember he was here to talk with you, yes, Larry, yeah. at that time, and um, and Claudia and I got to meet him. We were reminiscing, we were, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um. And he's just, he's so, you know, magnetic. Like, he's, you just you just want to listen to him for hours and hours. He is a raconteur. He's funny, but he's also quite driven. And I think a little bit tortured, maybe, even. And you get that when he's talking about all of his films. And that comes through when he's talking about Fitzcarraldo and having to figure out how to drag a boat up a, a mountain. mountain or working with Klaus Kinski on a gear. My Best Fiend, wasn't that the documentary? Yes, My Best Fiend about, about, about yeah. working with Kinski and yeah. how they almost killed each other. I mean, it was really very dark between the two of them. But it's he's he's such a great storyteller and he's he's always alive and kind of like you're just you're fascinating you're fascinated by his story and what drives him as an artist and the fact that he is still driven as well like I think this this whole thing of you know he is in a way what he's directing like his yes. his stories are so often about these people with these singular visions and that is something that I think that you get from him is that he is very driven to complete the singular vision. He goes back to his hometown in Germany which is a really pretty idyllic place but mm. he didn't have a very idyllic life. His father wasn't there um, and he actually liked it. He said it was anarchy in the best sense. There were no mm. rules because we didn't have a father there but they had food instability. But he goes back to this waterfall that mm. really had a place in his and yeah and he's just like the waterfall is me and his, his love for the natural world and his admiration and his I mean, that comes through loud and clear. Oh, he does Remember that the amazing. documentary on the caves in the France? The Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Yes. 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 Or Antarctica. The one with, that was a fascinating one. And he has this wonderful line about the waterfall that the we are the waterfall, that as you leave the cliff, we start, we're all like in a river, and then you leave the cliff. And the distance between the time when the water leaves the cliff and when it hits the ground is each of our individual lives. And then we come together in this stream at the end. Yeah. It's quite He's beautiful. very poetic. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about Werner Herzog, Radical Dream 
Kramer, the new biographical documentary on Herzog by Thomas von Steinecker. You can see it on demand starting next Tuesday. Also out this week, Waitress the Musical, which actually I should say is in theaters for one day next Thursday the 7th, and it was filmed during Waitress the Musical's Broadway limited return in September of 2021, and uh, this is, is the musical that was made based on the film that the late Adrian Shelley wrote. Claudia, what did you think of, of this treatment of Waitress the Musical? I liked it. I was a big fan of the movie. I know it's it's a pretty slight story, but I thought it was really beautifully told and, and you know well acted. This is so. I think this sweet story lends itself really nicely to a musical. Um, and the music is very good. The one song that's you know incredibly memorable memorable is "She Used to Be Mine." It's a beautiful song. It feels a little long for a movie. I think it's like two hours and twenty minutes. Um, but that's of course very normal for a play. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the characters feel sometimes a little stereotypical and theatrical for obvious reasons it's a piece of theater um but what i really appreciated was that the director brett sullivan got his camera directly into the action so that you you picked you you got a circled around you know during the musical numbers and so you got the vibrancy he captured that um and then the key performance by sarah Bareilles. um her bond with the two other waitresses, Charity Dawson and Caitlin Houlihan, was, I think, one of the main reasons to see it. Now, this was the role. Was it Carrie Russell played it yes. in the film yes. version? Yes, it was Carrie Non-musical, Russell. Non-musical. Yes, yeah, the original. which I love. I love the Carrie Russell-Nathan Fillion connection, and I love their chemistry. I, I don't think these guys, these two had as much chemistry, but it was, you know, uh, they've inserted some lines. They've added some things. But it's it made me really wish I'd seen this on stage, unfortunately. But it's a great story about love, about friendship, about female empowerment, about motherhood. And I think it's a really lovely tribute to Adrian Shelley, who, you know, was tragically killed and, and died, yeah. you know, way too young. Um, I I think it's, you know, it's worth seeing, but I do think you have to be a fan of the original film, which I was. Waitress the Musical, as Claudia just said, uh, starring Sarah Bareilles, the film portion of it, the film stage production, is uh, Brett Sullivan at the camera. Uh, Diane Paulus was the one who did the stage production that's on Broadway. The film is unrated. Again, it's in theaters one day only, which is next Thursday, December 7th. And we also want to mention there's been a 4K digital restoration upon the 20th anniversary of The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Hard to believe that documentary came out 20 years ago, (laughs) which follows uh, the life of Mark Bittner, uh, an unemployed um, aging guy in San Francisco who develops quite a, a relationship with the wild parrots and, and people's interactions with them that center on the birds. Lael, I have fond memories of this film. You know, I never saw this film, Larry, and I, although I'm from San Francisco, I, I can't believe I never saw it, and uh, I was actually so glad I got to see it for this. I so enjoyed it. So it's a it's a very weird film. You start out thinking this guy is a total kook. He's someone who's basically been more or less homeless for a decade or so. He's kind of a squ- squatting in this little guest house. He develops a relationship with this flock of parrots and and teaches himself everything about them. He becomes like the inarguable expert on these on these birds. These 
uh, cherry-headed conures, these parakeets, and 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 blue-crowned conures, these these amazing green parrots. And people come, people sort of hear about him, and he's written books and so forth. And they come by to look at him and and watch him talk to the birds and and feed the birds, and they think he's very peculiar. But little by little. What we learn is that he is probably the sanest person that is in the film or that, you know, you'll ever meet. Like he talks about the birds. He does admit that he anthropomorphizes them to some extent, like he gives them sort of imbues them with personalities and characteristics. But then you see this footage, some of which he has shot and some of which is shot by the director, Judy Irving, that bears out everything he says. So you sort of can't disagree with him. And there's also a lovely journey that happens in the course of the film that I won't give away, but it's a wonderful ending. And it's just a touching, revealing, uplifting, lovely film. The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, fully restored 4K version, 20th anniversary. Rated G, Judy Irving, the director. You can see it at Lemley's Glendale Theater in Glendale. Coming up on Film Week, we'll talk with Jeremy Arnold. There's a new revised edition of the TCM Christmas Movies book. We'll talk about it momentarily. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.